Hello, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Today on the show, we catch up with the chef, national TV weather presenter and musical theatre star, and now leader in his own right. In our case, it's the same person, New Zealand's Russell Dixon. I saw Russell on TV before I met him. He was Gaston, one of the leads in the musical Beauty and the Beast, way back in 2006 when I was part of the ensemble cast. Now, Russell has a fascinating story. He's been on TV. He's performed on stage around the world, including on the West End. Now he's a director and also a leadership consultant. He's back in New Zealand with a full-on busy life. But before we meet Russell, let's go back to the year 1996 to see what was happening when he was turning 21. In New Zealand, Jim Bolger is PM. The New Zealand government sells the Radio New Zealand commercial arm to Clear Channel, creating the radio network, which today includes networks such as News Talk ZB, The Hits, my favourite back in the day, Radio Hauraki. At the 1996 Atlanta Olympics, New Zealand wins three gold medals, two silver and one bronze medal, while in the National Provincial Rugby Championships in Auckland. Russell be happy. Auckland defeats Counties Manukau, a whopping 46 to 15. That is a thumping across the ditch. Back here in Australia at the 1996 federal election, Labor loses 31 seats, with John Howard defeating Paul Keating's Labor Party. Labor having been in government since Bob Hawke took over. In 1983, and months later, the Port Arthur tragedy occurs with the Australian government introducing a nationwide ban on the private possession of automatic and semi-automatic rifles. In the US, Hurricane Bertha causes nearly half a billion dollars damage and the Nintendo 64, remember that, the Nintendo 64, we've got one of the old Nintendo 64s in the garage, sure we do, uh, is released in North America. Some of the biggest hit singles of the year included Macarena, Who Can Forget, Kerry Ann and Peter Costello on the Midday Show, Wonderwall by Oasis and Celine Dion's Because You Loved Me. And the world got a little sadder with Gene Kelly, he of Singing in the Rain fame dying. Gene Kelly was aged 83. It's 1996 when our guest Russell Dixon turned 21. Well, Russell, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you heard that introduction. What was 1996, the year that you turned 21, like? What do you remember about that, that year? Wow, 1996. That seems so long ago, huh? <laughs> it does. <laughs> it's more than half my life ago. Um, wow, 1996. I don't remember a great deal from that year, not because I was drinking so much because everybody else was turning 21 and I was going to their parties. <laughs> but, um, no, I do remember. I think it was the, the final year of my um, – well, this, no, the second year – of my uh, my qualification, I was doing a hospitality management three year diploma. Um, I do yep. remember going to a lot of twenty firsts and watching a lot of my friends do yard classes, <laughs> and I did. I do remember having my own twenty first, which was a pretty big uh, party at a place called Ceramco Park in um, just out of Glen Eden in, in Auckland, and a lot of friends Lovely. and family came and. Um, most people got horrendously drunk. There was lots of food, lots of alcohol. <laughs> I got given some really cool gifts um, and, uh, and, and enjoyed that time. I remember being, being given the option. My father said to me, look, we've given your, your older brother and sister a little bit of money for their 21st. My brother bought a keyboard yep. with it. Um, I'm not, I can't remember oh, what my sister did, but I thought, no, no, I don't want to buy anything material. I want to have an experience that yep. I can remember. And uh, I guess that's what I just told you about. <laughs> it was a pretty good night. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Uh, how many people were there? Did you get up? Oh, were, were you singing at? Well, no, there was. Oh, my my dad might have played. His, my dad's band played a little bit of music, I think. Um, but other than great. that, we just put the stereo on and had a had a um, 
a lot of music. We had some lights and um, made it made it created some atmosphere. Yeah. There would have been maybe around a <laughs> hundred to one hundred and fifty people. So, so quite a few right. people, a lot of school friends, a lot of uh, tech friends, yeah. and people that I'd worked with over the years, yeah. and of course, friends and family as well. Wonderful. So, obviously, we're going to talk about your career, a musical family. Very quickly, what's the go with Dad being in a band? That must have been pretty cool. Yeah. So, I, I grew I grew up in a musical family. My father was head of music at Waitakere College. He played in the band, yep. but while he was music teacher at uh, the school, he also produced and directed school shows. The talent quests, all of those, all of that kind of thing, and so as a young child growing up, I was always going to see those productions, and sometimes I'd be because I was my dad was looking after me at the same time, I'd be sitting in on rehearsals yeah. or in in uh, school choir rehearsals, that kind of thing. Uh, my mother was a um, a scenic artist, and a, and a, a woman had performed on stage herself, so I often found myself right. at the theatre waiting for her while she was painting stage sets, that kind of thing. So I was very much in the environment. I played piano. I, yep. was, I, was, I grew up with music, did a lot of singing, just along to take cassettes on the old pioneer system and learning about musicals. <laughs> and So music was in my blood. I was exposed to music and theatre at a very young age, and yeah. I, I've never not known it, to be honest. It was, yeah. That's fantastic. It was always there. Let's fast forward to today, uh, and, and we're obviously having a bit of a chat. We're just recording this in. Well, that was late January 2023, and i got to say, as I was saying to you beforehand, um, I think the last time I saw you was the, the closing night of Beauty and the Beast when you were uh, Gaston, and, then, and I was trying, I've probably got the T-shirt somewhere, I think it was 2006. So um, I tell you what, you, you, you've, um, yeah, for, for you to come and have a chat for someone you haven't seen in nearly 30 years, 20 years is impressive, but what does life look like now? Because I've mentioned, and I will put the, the show notes, um, the last time I saw you on, well, obviously in person was back in Wellington, uh, but I was watching a movie with my son last year, and there you are in a, in a, in a British kids' movie, which was hilarious. I nearly fell for a sec. So what, is, what are you doing these days? So what am I doing these days? Um, well, I'm back from England, obviously. I'm back in living in Auckland, yep. and uh, there are three, three main avenues to most of the work that I do these days. Uh, I work as a communications consultant for the Great Scott Company. And we provide tailor-made mm -hmm. training solutions, really business communication solutions for businesses throughout Australasia. We've got clients mainly in Australia and in New Zealand. And I do a lot of travel throughout Australia and throughout New Zealand with that kind of work with my clients. Um, obviously, that took a little bit of a hit during COVID, as every industry did. Yep. So a lot of the work I do now has been pushed to the, uh, to the Zoom platform. And just this morning, I was right. talking with clients in the Waikato um, uh, from, yep. a, from a coaching perspective, working on various aspects of their business communications. That's one thing I do. I also work with a company right. called Opportunity. And Opportunity, Opportunity are actually New Zealand's largest travel and entertainment company. And they provide mm. around eight concert tours a year that travel throughout New Zealand with performances. And they also have the other side of the business, which is travel. And they produce anywhere from sort of 18 to 26 major trips every year throughout New Zealand and overseas. Um, not just in Australia, but over to all sorts of different countries. Uh, and these yep. tend to be music festival trips or trips for uh, people which have a real musical music type, type of focus. Um, 
the, the reason they tend to fly under the radar and why a lot of people haven't heard of them in New Zealand is because they specialize in a senior community or in the senior market. Uh, so most of the people who right. are performing for or escorting overseas in various music festival trips are sort of your 60 to 70 plus in age bracket. Right. So it's your reverse Kentucky <laughs> Yeah, kind of. So, yeah. So maybe slightly easier in terms of the activities. A real focus on the music. Yeah. A lot of uh, focus on right. history and architecture and geography and food wow. and, we, and, and musicals. Right. Um, so I do that as well. I also run my own little yep. production company, which is called RD Entertainment. And through that, I mm -hmm. build bespoke uh, productions for various outfits, whether they're corporates or retirement villages, that kind of thing. Um, I am a director right. of musicals. Um, and uh, most recently would be the production of Mary Poppins at the Civic Theatre in Auckland in 2020, which was the biggest show in the world at the time because most oh, other theatres had shut down because of COVID. Uh, yes. um, so I direct theatre. I perform on, on occasion in various musicals. I'm a marriage celebrant. Yes. Uh, I MC for various functions and events and uh, international conferences, that kind of thing. So you're probably getting a picture now that I'm I'm pretty pretty yeah. diverse and I do a lot of different things yeah. and contract myself out, uh, keeping life really interesting. So let, let's go back to that 21st, and you, you're at, at Tech. What was the career plan? Because to me, just listening to that, and you sent your bio over, we were catching up, and you know, I've been following on Facebook for for many years since I think. Facebook kicked off, um, I've, and I've always, you know, um, enjoyed seeing the, the things that you've been doing. Was there a career plan in mind? Um, because when you read that biography, girls, there really is a very long and, and, and impressive list of both on stage and, and screen, on and off stage, and those screen credits, including uh, Gangster <laughs> Granny, who I'll probably um, keep name dropping along the way. But how have you managed your career? In, at, firstly, and and how, was there a career plan? So let's just go back maybe to that twenty first kind of environment. Was there a a grand plan for for Russell, or did that evolve over time? There, there have been plans, but I've never really planned sort of more than three to five years into the future. Um, uh, and and okay. I think not because, not by choice, but I, I tend to be a person who kind of tries to live in the present. Um, and that's, yep. that has positive and negative attributes to it. It's good to be planning, but <laughs> it's also good to take stock of what you've got right here and now and just enjoy that from time to time. Because I think a lot of people that I work with in a communications consultants um, kind of way um, sort of dwell on the past and fear the future too much. And sometimes it's best just to just yeah. to stay in the present and take things as they come. But back at that 21st time, I, I do, while I was doing my hospitality mm. management diploma, I, I had a career path at that time of either being, um, I wanted to be a, a, a famous chef. <laughs> I was doing, started right. doing my bar three in chefing. I'm a fully qualified chef, but I, um, yeah, I didn't really pursue that. <laughs> I did quite a bit of TV work as a chef and dueled with Jamie That's Oliver right. and was hosting the Teagle Taste Kitchens and doing Master Foods commercials and the Auckland Food Show demonstrations, <laughs> that kind of thing. But I realised it wasn't really my 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 um my passion. There's a lot more that goes to right. goes to chefing and cooking, and that is what they call the mise en place or your preparation and the clean up at the end. So yeah. um, I started to right. fall out of favour with that. Then I wanted to um I wanted to be the general manager. I remember I set my sights on being the general manager of the Chicago Hilton. That was where I was going to go. Um, wow. And um, upon finishing my my three-year diploma in hospitality management, I realized that I had lost a bit of my passion for that industry. 
Um, and so yeah. I sort of, I, I, I went back for a little while working in retail. I worked for a wine company as a consultant. And um, when I started to pursue other things um, at, that, uh, at, that, at that time, and that's when I started shifting on television. I got back into my theater. I became a TV3 weather presenter, as you've noted. And, um, and I started yes. to get pulled in different directions <laughs> around the country to perform in various musicals, including Beauty and the Beast in Wellington, which is where yes. I met you and had a, had a pretty extraordinary time with that show. That was a great show. And that shout out to that entire cast. I, yeah, <laughs> that, that, that uh, after party was one for the ages. Anyway, we move on. And that's where, because I, I knew you lived in Zoom for a few years, but the, my understanding of who you were came from. Uh, you being on TV, and then suddenly this TV guy appeared in, in the show. It's like, oh, okay, wow. And uh, I loved it. So, and, and they're like, oh, no, he's been on TV for years. He's been a chef. I'm like, okay. <laughs> As you do, that's fantastic. I love it. Um, so, your career's evolved over time, and, and I guess you've obviously taken those opportunities both in New Zealand and overseas and um, that kind of portfolio approach now. As we think about leadership, and obviously your leadership spans a whole bunch of areas, um, as a performer, how do you reconcile being able to do what you're doing with the, with the performing and doing auditions, be it for TV or, or stage or, or screen? Um, and you go in and you do the audition, but really it's it's you could do a brilliant audition, as I'm sure you've done many times, but basically you get the part depending on someone else's gut feel for you. How, does, how do you reconcile that? Um, how do I reconcile it um, with, yeah. with, how do you mean, how do I reconcile it with what? So how, as a performer, so you could, have been, you, you could be at the top of your game doing the best auditions in the world and oh, um, your career to an extent is, is beholden by people who might go, yeah, but doesn't fit what we're looking for. I see, I, mean, I see, yeah. I, I haven't done the, you know, I've obviously only ever done the, the amateur stuff. You've obviously, but you're the, the professional. How do you kind of accept that being what it is um when it's part of your career yeah it's, it's a good question you ask actually um i'm the first person to say that the performing arts industry is the hardest industry of them all now I, I know that i haven't worked in all the industries but i have worked in many whether it be retail whether it be hospitality whether it be communications whether it be um um uh, I, I don't know, there's, there's so many different things that, that sort of comprise my, my backstory and, and different areas where I've worked. But nowhere else where do you do you put your heart and soul uh, on the line? Do you expose yourself without, um, right. without yeah. uh, any necessary progression um, like, like the performing arts industry? And, and no, nowhere else do you get kicked back and kicked back and pulled down yeah. and pulled down. It's really feast or famine. Sometimes you've got a lot of roles and then you've got no work. You never have job security, right. therefore you never have financial security. It really is a tough industry to be involved in because you're in and out of work and you're, you're up and you're down. And that graph of peaks and troughs in terms of happiness and depression starts to become a really mm. um, uh, extreme graph with, with a, a lot of distance between the peaks and the troughs, you know. And you've got to be able to manage that. You've got to be able to adapt that wily e. coyote sort of tenacious attitude to, to keep going, <laughs> but also keep everything in perspective so that you do, don't get too despondent and downhearted about the industry when it doesn't go your way. I think one of the ways that I've managed to accept the industry and, and work within it and, and stay within it and continue to work within it 
is by keeping everything in perspective and diversifying. Right. And New Zealanders are really good yep. at diversifying. As you can tell by my credentials and, and the things that I'm yes. doing now, I've yeah. got many different avenues That's of right. income and I, I fill my time throughout yeah. the year um, as work comes in. If, if, there, if I've got no work, then I go and produce it and create it and build it and um, sell it, yeah. you know. Um, I also know that... And that can't be easy because it's not a nine-to-five job. I mean, you're having to sell yourself as a performer, as a director. <laughs> COVID, no one knew COVID was going to yeah. come along, clearly. Yeah. Um, it, it must take a remarkable amount of resilience, you know, having done this for, for a couple of decades now for you to go, this is what I want to do because the easy out would have been, well, I'll go back to chefing or I'll, I'll stay in management or I'll, you know. Yeah. To me, it seems like the, you've taken the, the, the harder choice um, and, and deliberately so. Is that a fair observation? Deliberately so. Um, no, I've, I've sort of continued to find myself in work um, I have tried to come ah. out of this this consultancy kind of or portfolio lifestyle, but found myself yeah. going back into it because number one, it's interesting, it's different. I've yeah. got a degree of autonomy over my time. I can pick and choose things that I do. I've also been successful uh, successful enough to keep doing it. Um, right. I have I have right. tried to pull myself out and do nine to five jobs, but then go find myself getting yeah. bored or uh, finding it tedious with the routine <laughs> and wanting a bit more excitement. Yeah. And at the moment, it's not always easy. It's it's not it's not always um, fantastic, but it's really interesting, and it's rewarding and it's right. fulfilling. and And it comes back to my philosophy of what life is all about, which is effectively our job is to just really be happy, to try to be happy, and to and to and to do do things, you know, do stuff. I, I've often talked in in, in um, when, when I've been a keynote speaker for a conference or I'm talking to students or yeah. um, whether they be performing arts students or just people at a school, my, 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 my recommendation is do stuff. Just do stuff. Don't just sit back and stagnate yeah. and let life pass you by. Get out there and do stuff. And, and yeah. at the moment, yeah. I mean, I'm directing a big major musical this year. I've got clients that I'm communicating. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm providing communication skills to. Um, I've got my own right. production company producing things with opportunity. I've got two concert tours that I'm doing this year, as well as a whole lot of trips that I'm involved in. One that goes to Fiji, one that goes to Ireland, um, one that goes oh, to around wow. the west coast of the South Island. So I anchor myself to things that I know I've got coming up within my calendar. And then I look for the gaps yeah. that I've got and I, and I make myself available for new client work or I produce more performances or productions that I can go and uh, present to various contacts that I have to keep the work rolling in and to keep the money rolling and I guess to to survive. Yeah, fantastic. So you've got to be very very organised, I guess, too, in that in, in that way with, with with you and your wife in terms of how, how you know where am I going to meet? Like, you know, <laughs> that that nine to five role is definitely not there when you're jumping on a plane to go into Ireland for a couple yeah. of weeks. Um, look, I train personal efficiency and effectiveness as a communications consultant. So I, I, I train <laughs> I train management and leadership and I train organization. So I'm really good at it. And the other thing to add to yeah. that is I have an incredibly patient wife who is also um, <laughs> understanding of the industry, understanding of my career, is, is happy to, yeah. to be without me for a, a periods of time and then um, let me assimilate back into our home environment when I return. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's a lot of things that I'm, I'm thankful for that seem to work um, and, and nicely and in and, 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 and a synchronization with this weird sort of 
crazy mm-hmm. lifestyle but interesting lifestyle that I have. <laughs> That's fantastic. Love it. Uh, let's talk about some of the leadership points because there's some really interesting um, points you raise. As a professional performer and now someone who's obviously directing your own shows, um, how do you lead, particularly, in, and I only reflect on the, the, the production that I've you know, met you in, but that was a mix of paid professionals like yourself and some of the other leads and then uh, we mere mortals that were um, looking like crazy people up the back. So how do you, how do you when you're in, in that environment, um, lead a mix of paid and non-paid cast with a mix of, I guess, off-stage cast, that, uh, off-stage crew that may have been very experienced or not very experienced? Because to me, that seems like a real mix of different styles of leadership that you'd need to really employ in that environment. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and from memory, that production of, of Beauty and the Beast in Wellington wasn't without its challenges. I don't know if you can remember back, remember back that far, but <laughs> oh, I can. If, if, if you yes. remember that production, we lost our musical director three, yes. three nights from opening. We did. Um, the, the, yes, sta- we did. The, the set that was sitting on the stage was so heavy that it bowed the stage and we couldn't move it. And so we actually opened right. that show with our first dress rehearsal. Our opening night That's was our right. first dress yes. rehearsal. And one of the other paid yes. professionals who played the role of the, the of the beast was Glenn Drake. And I yes. remember he and I yes. uh, sitting down and talking and going, hey, it feels like the wheels have fallen off, um, <laughs> no pun intended, um, in terms of the set, but but it feels like we, we, we're going to have to step up here um, to help some yeah. of the cast through this process because we yes. are against it. But this is theatre, you know, and we're experienced. We've been in it yeah. before. We, we've seen the wheels come off before. Um, so in terms of right. leadership, as the paid professionals coming in, I knew that we had to lead by example, number one. And so by right. being level-headed, calm under pressure, um, trying to keep everybody calm and still enjoying the process when we had people in tears backstage, um, I, I think what <laughs> they needed to see that if, if we were okay, then they would be okay. Um, yeah. I, we also communicated effectively with the director and the choreographer to ensure mm. that the first violinist of the Wellington Symphonia, I think it was, was able to come in and take hold of that conductor's baton and and lead our orchestra through yes. that that um, that, um, that ordeal. It meant that we, we, yes. we, I mean, Glenn and I and a number of other leads, we said, look, let's get together during the day and we'll take you through the show and we'll make sure that you yeah. know what you're doing as a conductor in terms of leading the orchestra. Um, so we stepped up. So in terms of leadership, we lead by example. We were cool and calm under fire. Um, we tried yep. to keep everybody happy. We tried to keep everybody having fun um, and keep that theatrical sort of vibe of, of we, we're actually mm. here because we enjoy it, uh, keep that alive. Yes. But we also stepped up in terms of doing whatever it was that we could do um, during the day and, and during our um, our free time to get other people prepared so that we could then put our best foot forward and open with our first dress rehearsal. And I'm, I remember when that curtain came down, we all sort of, there was, <laughs> yes. a, there was a pause and there was a, a period of, of about two seconds where we, we, we yes. all went, oh, my God, yes. we did it. How did we get through that? And I think one of the things That's that right. no one got injured. No one got injured. <laughs> but I remember Glenn and, Glenn, Glenn, <laughs> and I, yeah, Glenn and I talking to the, um, <laughs> to the company saying, all we have to do is our job, our individual jobs. Don't worry about anybody yes. else. Just do what that. you need yeah. to do, and everything will come yes. together. And that trend that transferred through to the crew. It transferred through to the orchestra. Yeah. It transferred through to all of those people that are also there in supporting roles. 
not just on stage, but yes. mainly off in terms of pulling flies and bringing yes. on set elements and, and all of those That's aspects right. of theatre. Um, it's quite a complicated set. Too. Yeah, it's incredibly yep. complicated and dangerous, you know. Yes. Um, <laughs> I remember I had to take my glasses off many times and I'm like, I can't see what I'm about to be <laughs> buying. Sure. Um, and and that's okay. how it all came together. And we actually had an amazing three-week season over summer. And I have so many fabulous yeah. memories um, from that particular production um, in, in terms of uh, overcoming adversity but also having such a neat group of people around me or around us to yeah. work with and enjoy yes. the company of. Well said, well said. That's a great segue into my next question, which is about how, how what's your leadership style? And I think you've given us a bit of a taste there. And how has it evolved over time? Because you don't necessarily wake up one day and you've got a fully formed leadership leader. What's your leadership style and how has it evolved over time? I, um, I think some people are really good at leadership naturally. Um, you know, some I've heard people say that you can either do it or you can't. I don't necessarily believe that because I believe yeah. that people can be, be developed into good leaders. One of the things that I say during management and leadership training is that leaders don't necessarily develop people. They develop other leaders. So it's it's leading by yeah. example, but also empowering people and, and setting them up with the skills and the confidence and um, yeah. the tools to develop into leaders themselves, not not necessarily of other people, but of themselves. So they're, they're natural leaders of their own person. Um, in terms of my leadership style, I believe in setting clear expectations and getting buy-in to that. And there are techniques that I use about setting clear expectations so that they're not just things that I dictate to people or to a cast or to a group that I'm managing, right. but asking them, do we feel that this is acceptable as a group? This is a two-way street. I've got expectations on you, but I believe yeah. you should have expectations on yep. me so that we all feel that we've got a say in how we're going to move forward as a team. Yes. That's important. Yes, very true. Um, and yep. saying that I haven't always been the great leader that I would like to be, but I learned from my mistakes. And I've made many, many mistakes over the years, as we all do, because <laughs> we're all human. But each yes. time I've made a mistake, yeah, I've gone, true. okay, don't do that next time, or how do I approach that next time? As a director of musical theatre, I've made all sorts of mistakes over the last sort of uh, sort of 11 years, 10 years that I have been directing um, major productions throughout New Zealand. Um, and and I've had very successful shows, but they haven't come without lessons, you know. So I think a good leader mm. should be always be aware of, of the environment. It's all about communication. It's all about trying to keep people happy and, and also leading by example and, and bringing a degree of um, energy and passion um, to whatever yeah. you're doing. But the other side of all of that is perfect planning prevents piss poor performance you probably have, you've probably heard the heard of the peas <laughs> as a director yes. or as a leader i do a lot of research i do a lot of planning a lot of preparation a lot of organization yeah. so that i'm providing an environment where people can succeed mm. i'm also providing an environment yeah. where i have already thought of all of the potential pitfalls or downsides or all the areas that are of concern so that i'm prepared for them and i'm ready for them and i know how to and navigate those difficult times as well. Uh, other than that, it's just about being so, confident and and happy and um, organised and knowing what I'm doing and being experienced in what I'm doing. I'm only a leader with the things that I know I'm good at and I've got a wealth of experience behind yeah. me to support my right to be there in terms of a leader. You touched on that word navigation. How do you navigate some of those egos? And I'm not just referring to theatre, but obviously, you know, you've worked 
and when, you know, you've been on TV every night for, for, for numerous years on in New Zealand. How do you navigate some of those egos, both as a someone who's you know, the performer or working in, in that that um, the employee environment, uh, and also then as a director? Because you know the, the little example you gave there about Beauty and the Beast back in two thousand and six was a fantastic example, I think, of you know people like you and Glenn and, and, and some of the others really stepping in and going right. Um, and that cast was exceptionally close. And I know you've done, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of productions. That was my third and last one. And I look back at that production, for example, and go, that was a close cast because of the adversity. Um, how do you navigate some of those egos um, in that kind of portfolio approach that you need to, to deal with? Um, uh, it's, a, it's a good question once again. Look, I, I have performed in some major musicals overseas and I'm not trying to blow my own trumpet here, but to create context for the question you're asking mm -hmm. and the answer I'm going to give, working with big, big yep. stars over in the UK, in, in mm -hmm. that movie, for example, I was understudying Robbie Williams in yes. Gangster Cranny, you know, <laughs> um, and I was working with David <laughs> Williams and Miranda Hart and Joanna yep. Lumley was on set, but, but working in major musicals on the West End in London, some big stars like the guy... Um, in a poster that's right behind me called Marty Pello from the band <laughs> Wet, Wet, Wet. Um, the funny thing is the really talented people that I've worked with are actually lovely. The people who present a uh -huh. really difficult ego are often the people who are in a position of, of celebrity or in a position of power that don't necessarily have the right to be there because they haven't actually earned their ticket. They've just managed to find themselves there because they're incredibly good looking and have been picked up for this role in a TV right. show or or um, on a movie or that kind of thing and have, and have created a degree of celebrity status or um, sort of household name, but haven't necessarily got there by training and training and training in the hard graft of musical theatre and going from audition to audition to audition and, and working through that process. Um, when it comes to working with egos, as a leader, I set very clear expectations early on and I hold people right. accountable to those and I note them down. And so I, I hold people to how we're going to how we're going to conduct ourselves. As a director, I don't care who you are or who you think you are. If you're going to be a member of my company for a big show, yeah. the show comes first. And I say this, and I say my loyalty is not to you. My loyalty is to yeah. the show. So every decision that I make from here on in will be in the best interests of the production. And if you mm. or your ego are going to get in the way of that, then number one, you're going to start yes. to see a side of me that you're not going to enjoy. And number two, <laughs> number two, um, I'm going to great biggest <laughs> yeah, Number two, I'm going to have to start managing you in a way which you're not going to enjoy. Um, and 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 yes. and I, I don't want that, and you don't want that. Nobody else wants that. So, in terms of managing ego, one of the one of the things I do is nip it in the bud early on. I set clear expectations right. and I nip things in the bud early on. And I do that carefully. I don't do it in front of other people where people lose face. I do it privately where we have yeah. private discussions. And I say, hey, look, what's going on? Why am I seeing this side of you now? It's, everything is very consultative. This is what I train as a, as a yep. communications consultant as well. So yes. it's not finger pointing yeah, and going, yeah. you're doing this. It's very much, I'm noticing this kind of behavior. Talk to me. What's going on? Because I want to help you. Or I need to get. I need to see a change in your attitude or your performance at the moment. How do we get there? So it's it's asking questions as opposed to giving direction to see if we can find a common ground or if you need some help from me in terms of turning a corner, that kind of thing. So it's a careful, calm approach. I never lose my cool. Um, 
right? But I'm but I'm I'm carefully consultative and I'm also empathetic. I don't get it right all the yeah. time. We are human. I understand that. And sometimes in theatre in particular, people are under pressure and people can snap. People there's an undercurrent with people. We don't always know what's going on beneath the surface. Right. So it's a careful approach yeah. to understanding people first and then trying to get them to allow me in to their sphere of uh, uh, their, their world so that I can help them and find a pathway out of that that quagmire that they're in and get them performing again or get them to a, a level of communication which isn't arrogant or egotistical and once again more consultative mm. and of a flavor which is more conducive to a team environment rather than an individual pursuit. That's yeah. Wow. Well, what I'm getting from you is there's a lot of those those hard business but business lessons are actually completely transferable to any form of life. Be it theatre. I was listening to you going. You're giving us a fantastic sporting analogy. You know, like the, the coach or the captain before the rugby team goes out, and it's like it's not about you. It's actually there's 15 of you, for example, on the pitch of the rugby. You've got to, you know. Yeah, but that, and that, you're absolutely right. And that's why I'm a good communications consultant and why I've got clients yeah. throughout Australasia because <laughs> they, they know my background, but they know my approach and my history and experience. I, yeah. I was captain of my yeah. school first 11. So I understand, yeah. I understand yeah. that sporting environment. I understand yeah. the theatre environment. Yeah. I understand the business environment. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's people and it's effective communication. Yes. So nothing really changes. It's, it's just the environment that you're in, but the, the approach is, yeah. is really kind of uh, identical. So in that context, how do you get, um, as a director or as someone who's, you know, on stage, yeah, on, on set with probably William, so no pressure, how do you get into the best headspace to perform at your best? Um, once again, I mean, this, this comes back to management and leadership. Once again, I said... Uh, uh, perfect planning prevents piss poor performance. Yes. So uh, already, yeah. like I, I'm directing a production of Matilda uh, in Tauranga this year, and that show doesn't go right. to season until September. Um, I was already planning and preparing um, my 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 huge show resource back in November last yeah. year, wow. uh, and, I've, and I okay. finished. I read the book again for about the third time. I watched the 1980s movie with Danny DeVito. Uh, yeah. with the, with the, the, the musical I've seen umpteen times, probably 10 times. Um, and I also watched the, the new um, musical movie that just came out in December as well. Yes. Just yep. so I've got a handle yeah, on which that. Which is great. We enjoyed that the other yeah. night. Yeah, great school holiday yeah. movie. Yeah, which is, although it's research. a movie musical based on the musical, mm. it's actually very, very different, yeah. which I'm happy to see. Right. Because I can't be... Good. I can't be accused of plagiarism when it comes to the, the show that I put on the stage in sort of 10 months' time or Fair dare I say, nine months' time. Um, nine but months. a lot of planning, a lot of organisation. Yep. When it comes to yep. um, direction, I won't read the script any less than, say, 20, 25 times because every time I read the script, I focus in on different things. I'm focusing in on one character and their relationship with that character. Right. Or I'm going to read it again and just focus in on the set changes. Or I'm going to read it again and focus right. in on the costume changes or the wig plot. All of these different yep. components that I need to have control over. So um, a lot of it's, it's just planning, 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 research, research, research. And then um, and then, then just having everything as organized as it can be and yep. communicated as, as effectively as it can for everybody who needs to be communicated to. 
and then trying to preempt things that I know are going to be problems like specific holidays that are going to be interrupting the rehearsal process or political events or um, uh, things that I know are coming that I can earmark. But then also... Again, so that comes down to preparation. comes down to preparation. But then also being in a position to then roll with the punches as they arrive, knowing that those punches are going to come. Yeah, with with theatre, we know that production week's going to be challenging. Uh, With Matilda, I know that I've got three Matildas and two casts of children. That's going to be a problem. I know that that's going to present a whole lot of parents that I have to negotiate with as well. So I know these are things that I can uh, anticipate. Um, And also building, this is important, is building a really strong team around me to Mm. help shoulder the load, help um, help, uh, in terms of delegating tasks, but also to insulate us and the cast from a lot of those problems that we will deal with. Yep. So that the cast right. just focus on their performances, yeah. you know, so building a really Which strong creative exactly team and production about. team yeah. to, to insulate them from the issues that we deal with at a higher level. So it all comes down to being experienced and knowing how this game pl- is played, um, how to anticipate the things that are going to be difficult, but then planning and preparing for all of those um, aspects of the show that we can do in advance so that we have a, a really strong schedule that we're working to, which everybody's got mm-hmm. eyes on, and just maintaining that communication effectively through various avenues when we get down to business and we start to approach that deadline, which of course is always opening night. Do you get nervous when you go on stage? Like when you were doing the TV three news, and you know you were doing that for three, I think three years. Did you get nervous when they were counting you in? You know, we're just going to start the rehearsal, or was it? Was it? I I was initially, and I have been nervous for theatrical productions. I don't really get nervous these days. Um, If anything, while I was working over in London, and I was I was in a production called Top Hat for two years. The the most dangerous aspect of that was complacency. Because right. it becomes your job, yes. your nine to five type of job. Although it's not yes, nine to five, that's your nine to five. But you're you're doing the same right. show eight times a week, and you do it for yeah. two years. Complacency is your greatest enemy. Um, so how do you how do you guard against that? Because that's a very important point. It's a very different thing for, well, you know, showbiz Wellington to do. You know, eighteen show run in three and a half weeks. Thanks very much, but. <laughs> You know, and we had our day job, so we was like something to look forward to. You're doing that eight times a week for two. How do you keep the zip up? How do you, um, you know, I think it's, you haven't set well and I've got to get up for it. Yeah, well, um, number one, I was in the best shape of my life during that show because each morning I'd get up and go to the gym and I had a diet regime. So right. planning and prepping once again, keeping myself in a good, yeah. in good yeah. physical space, in a physical body, good, yeah. good, healthy body, healthy mind. Everybody's different, mm-hmm. but for me, Two things it comes down to. Number one, professionalism, i.e. there's mm-hmm. a standard that I hold myself to. And how do I keep myself in that professional um, state before a show? What well, I call it zoning. It's what I do about 30 minutes before the show, or before I get in front of a camera, is I zone. I yeah. get myself into the zone, and I know I'm, when I'm in the zone, I'm actually highly effective. I still do it to a degree when I'm uh, emceeing an event or I'm, uh, presenting to a group of people in a business meeting or in a in a conference space, whatever it might be, as a keynote speaker, I just zone myself, which yep. gets the brain working. I've got um, good recall of memory. Um, I'm relatively articulate, 
and I've got a good sense of vocabulary in terms of <laughs> trying to articulate the things I want to say. That's how I do it. But in saying that, I'm not always perfect. I am human. I do make mistakes. We all do. But I go easy on myself as well. <laughs> if I, you know, if I make mistakes, I make a mistake. I try not to make, let it happen again. You know, but that, that's how I do it. the night before and keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Absolutely. That, that, that being prepared, uh, being in top shape. So is it fair to say that you're the type of person that takes their job seriously? but is also very grounded in your own sense of self because the Russell I'm talking to today is, you know, I, I just recall you being very easygoing and, you know, you didn't come in with an ego and people, you know, no, none of the um, the leads did actually in that, in that production. Um, has that been something that you've always kind of just to step back a little bit from yourself and go, hang on, you know, TV3 today, you know, X TV three per um, presenter in Wikipedia tomorrow kind of thing. How have you made sure you've always kept yourself nice and grounded? Um, I think it comes down to your personality and how you're brought up. Um, I've, yeah. I've had a family which has always kept me very grounded. Um, I've got a, I've got yeah. a brother and sister that still think I'm a bit of an idiot, <laughs> you know. And that's <laughs> that's sibling, that's sibling um, uh, fair sib enough. Sib then. Sibling prerogative. Uh, and that's fine. Yeah. But I, I also know yeah. myself to be a bit of an idiot. I know that I don't get things right all the time. I know that if I criticise somebody else for something, then I'd better be bloody perfect at it myself if I'm going to take that yeah, kind yeah. of attitude. As a manager, as a leader, I try to, um, I strive to be, to, to lead by example and do things the best that I can. But I know that if I'm going to get mm. things wrong from time to time, that other people can as well. It's about how we deal with that. But I've always prided myself on, not having an ego. I don't like ego. I hate it, in fact. And I say mm. that to my cast when I'm directing. <laughs> I say, there's nothing I hate more than just people who come in with arrogance and ego. Nobody likes it. Yeah. It's not conducive no. to a team environment. People don't like no. you when you're like that. So why be like it? You know, you're only doing That's it for right. your own self gratification. And if getting along with people and, and creating more friends and having fun is desirable, then the best thing you can yes. do is lose the ego. So I don't like it in other people, therefore why would I let it manifest itself in me? And I've and I've been intuitive towards that right from from an early, you know, as an early teenager. There have been times when I have been right. a, bit, a bit egotistical. Um just because you, yeah. you grow through that process. And every time I've been mm. like that, I've noticed that people don't like me or don't like the way that I'm behaving. And so I've gone, <laughs> oh well, maybe I shouldn't be that. There, are, there is a fine line between confidence and arrogance, so I, I'm careful True. to keep that in mind. Mm. Um, I'm sure there yeah. are people who think that I am egotistical or arrogant purely because of the position I'm in or the things that I've got to do as a director or that kind of thing, but I, I, I think that's a misinterpretation. Mm. Often it's because as, as a director, you're, you're actually um, under pressure and you're in, you're, you're mm. in what I call bull mode that direction mode of this needs yes. to happen, you need to do this, that needs to go there, stop yeah. doing that, I need you to yeah. do this, that kind of thing. And when you're yeah. in that sort of autocratic yes. mode or leadership mode, it can come across as being a little bit sort of direct and abrupt and dismissive yeah. um, and authoritative. But that's because of the situation that we're in. We need to keep that in mind. Yes, You'll find that yes. after the process, and when we go and sit down and have a drink at the end of the night or you know, in reflection, we're talking about yeah. things, you'll find 
that I'm actually a nice person. <laughs> we were just all under, we were just out. <laughs> I could vouch yeah, for that. <laughs> we were just all under pressure. But I also do, I, I also right. take care of that ego by saying, guys, we're coming into yeah. the business end. It's going to be challenging. Yeah. We're going to de be dealing yeah. with a lot of pressure, all of us, not just me, yeah. but you as well. So we yeah. need to take yeah, a load yeah. off and just bear in mind that sometimes when we might say things in a heated fashion that we don't mean, or we might do things mm. in a, in a, in a, um, in a very direct manner where we don't mean it to be like that, but we just need action, yeah. you know? So it might come across as being a little bit, um, antagonistic at the time, but come and talk to me if you feel like, um, I'm being hard on you or if I'm pushing you too hard, yeah. because I can promise you I'm worried about other things, not you. It's just an energy right. that we're all experiencing. So I, pr I prepare as well. Yeah. Yeah. No. What a great philosophy. Um, as we as we think about, uh, again, theatre and, and, and live music, are there people in the media or, or in your professional career, for example, that you've looked up at and gone, gee, they're, they're a great leader? Who might they be or the type of issue, I guess? So, um, and why? Are there people that you've naturally gone, oh, that's a great way of doing it? Or, you know, I, 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 you, know you take something from someone's... yeah. You know, toolbox yeah. of leadership. I've got I've got a whole bunch of heroes that I that I have stolen management or leadership qualities from. <laughs> um, uh, heaps and, and heaps in different areas as well. I remember when I was when right. I, I made it into our school first eleven when I was in the fifth form or back that would have been year uh, eleven, I guess. Um, right. Yep. And the captain of our first eleven uh, was a guy by the name of Nigel Nelson. He was a really good natural leader. And we did amazing things that year. I mean, I shouldn't, you know, I was lucky to be in this, mm. the top soccer team at school as a, as a, as a 15 year old or whatever I was. Um, but my skills were good enough to just make it in. But I remember looking up to him and thinking, gosh, I really want to do well for you. Now, what are the qualities in you mm. that I've seen that make me want to perform for you and do well by you and, and, and obtain your acceptance and your, your, uh, your respect? And, and it was just his leadership by example, the fact that he didn't get despondent, he wasn't egotistical, he built the team, yeah. he built individuals within yeah. the team. If there was something that needed to be talked about, he didn't do it in front of the team, you know, but if there was something to be championed, then you do do it in front of the team, you know, so that we're, we're yeah. building community and we're, we're building communication and we're building a, um, a culture. So I learned that then. Working with really good directors over the years, like Stephen Robertson, um, who directed um, yes. uh, Beauty and the Beast. I've done. A, I, I've, Beast, I've performed yes. a number of shows with him at the helm, and there are great leadership yeah. qualities as a director that I was able to garner from him. There have also been terrible directors that I've worked with over the years and gone, okay, <laughs> well, I don't want to do that like you've done it, and I would do that That's differently, right. and I'd do that differently. I don't like yeah. the way that you direct because you don't do this, 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 and this, as opposed to this director who does do that and that and that. Um, my, uh, my, my boss, if you like, or the director of the Great, Great Scott boss. Company, a lady by the name of Jackie right. Scott, um, hence the name the Great Scott Company. She's an incredible leader, and she's, a, she's one of my best friends. And she's a, she's, she's a confidant, go. and she's, a, she's a, a, a sounding board. And because she's so good at what she does as a communications consultant and as she would say, a barrier removal specialist, um, I've learned so many lessons about how to 
how to uh, effectively teach sales or customer service or or management and leadership uh-huh. or personal efficiency training and organization. Um, yeah. So she's an example that I followed. My mum and my dad are excellent examples. Um, my brother and sister at times have been really good examples of, of leaders. Um, <laughs> funny thing is I've spent a lot of time over the last couple of weeks with my nieces and nephews. And they're, they're oh, exceptional okay. young kids coming into, these, the, into, yeah. into young adulthood now. And I learn lessons oh. from them as well. So yep. if you're aware, if you don't have an ego, and if you put yourself out there to share experiences with people, it's amazing what you can yeah. learn. And I've been trying to develop my niece and my nephews, my nieces and nephews as natural young leaders. And in the process of trying to mm. teach them to be leaders and natural leading hands, I've actually learned lessons from them that will make me a better leader as well. So it's about being aware and, and looking for opportunities to grow and develop within yourself as much as anything. As we begin to wrap up, and again, thank you so much for your, I mean, we're getting literally a leadership masterclass today, which is fantastic. You're very welcome. Um, uh, uh, who's one performer in New Zealand that you've seen or performed with that you go, yeah, okay, I paid to see you? Who's um, Oh, gosh, I could name. Or, or are there a couple? There's, there's a couple. There's, there's a number of performers that I've, that I've worked with. Um, one one yeah. very talented actor and uh, slash director that I've worked with would, would, would be Mark Hadlow. Um, Mark right. Hadlow and okay. I did a musical production called Golf, the musical. In fact, it had two other performers <laughs> of note. It had Ray Wolf. For those of us who remember Ray Wolf right. from the Ray Wolf show back in the sort of late 70s, early 80s. Um, and it had um, a very dear friend, Lisa Laurel, who who I still work with. In fact, we're, we're building a show right now called Sparkling Duets, Great. which we're touring. Um, um, <laughs> the four of us, we were, there were just four people in that show. But Mark Hadlow, oh, as a character okay. actor and a performer yep. and as a director, just had so many ideas, was so clever, thought so yep. out of the box, and was so wonderful to work with in terms of um, building a relationship with with somebody on stage, I was in awe of some of the ideas he was instantly able to conjure up and how to put things together, and um, and I just really enjoyed working in that environment with him because he he had mm. great rapport with us as other as as his fellow actors and actresses, um, but we had a lovely yeah. a, a culture and energy of creative um, nous that pulled together all sorts of ideas and nuances and relationships between our characters, which really worked for the piece. He would be one person that I would say I'd, I'd love to work with again mm. um, in, in, in any form of theatre capacity. Um, <laughs> I, I worked, uh, I, I was in a movie a few years ago called The Other Side of Heaven 2, The, Faith, uh, the Fire of Faith. Uh, and this was a... Um, a Mormon movie, a Latter-day Saint movie that I filmed in Fiji. Oh, okay. And I ended up playing one of the supporting lead characters, a guy by the name of Thomas S. Monson, who is a, a member of the LDS right. community who went on to become the uh, president of the Mormon faith, that, the, the, effectively like the Pope of the Catholic faith. Yeah. He was the, yeah. the, the, wow. the prophet and the person who leads the, the Latter-day Saint community. Oh, for the Latter-day Saints. Yeah. Now, wow. I'm not a Mormon. Okay. I'm not an, a member of the LDS community, but I was performing – um, right. This this character in this film, this character, and yep. I was working with a very talented American actor called 
Chris Gorham, who's been in all sorts of things like Ugly Betty, and uh, he was in The Lincoln Lawyer that I, that I watched recently. He, if you Google him, you'll find he's been in lots of things, but yep. he was the um, the main uh, actor, the main catalyst of this particular movie, and producing a lot of the scenes that we were in together, working with him, seeing him work, understanding his relationship, not just as the two characters, but the, the culture that we built between us as actors and the way that we approached our scenes by talking about things beforehand was really, really lovely. Yeah. So we got to um, we got to uh, work with each other um, and develop as friends as well as actors in that environment. So I took away a lot from that experience. And there's a lot of other right. actors and actresses that I've worked with both here in New Zealand and in London on the West End yeah. that have, mm. have, have grown me as a performer, as a leader, and as a person in general. Which I would, um, I too, who I take my hat off to, and uh, credit with having a real impact on me as a person and me as an artist or as a professional. But so, a lot of that has to do with you being open to continuing to to learn and, and evolve as a performer and a person, doesn't it? Absolutely, being accessible and sitting back and not having yeah. an ego, not being arrogant, and just going, "There's an opportunity for me here to perform, and there's an opportunity here for me to grow as a person and build some wonderful." Uh, relationships and um, uh, and friendships with really incredible people, amazing people, um, and so I've taken that, taken the bull by the horns, and looked for every opportunity to build those relationships and share those experiences where I, where I can. And that's that's maybe one of the reasons why you could argue that a lot of my career or some of the things I've done have been successful, because I have looked for that opportunity to grow and develop as a person and build great uh, communications with people and build and develop that network. So thinking back on what we've discussed today and knowing what you know of you today and your you know, fascinating portfolio career over many years in many different countries, what would, let's go back to that, that night, what would 21-year-old Russell say to the Russell of today? Or, or the other way around? Uh, so, what, would, what would? Well, or both. Yeah. So we're going to start with that okay. one. So what would 21, so go back to you being 21 yeah. and then looking out um, um to, to your life, what would 21-year-old Russell say to Russell of 2023, um, what advice would 21-year-old Russell give you today? I think, I think we'll my 21-year-old self today, um, I don't know, I don't think there's any advice to give. I think it would be more questions sure. to ask. Like, like, am I on the right, <laughs> right. Am I on the right I like track? Um, have yeah. I done the right thing? Is it all going to be okay? Yeah. That kind of thing. It would be more yeah. questions to ask myself yeah. in the future. Gosh, wouldn't that be an I interesting like conversation to be able to sit down yes. with somebody sort of 30 years into the future who's yourself and say, did, did, what did yes. I, you know, did, did I get it right or um, what did I get yeah. wrong? Um, I don't know. I would. I would. Mm -hmm. I, I don't. I really don't know what that person would say, um, other than my philosophy at the time as twenty-one, as a twenty-one-year-old, was to, was to seek adventure. Comes back to that do stuff right. kind of thing. And, yeah, and at do the, stuff. At, well, that's at the time I was doing a show with you in Wellington. I was playing a yeah. really cool role, the role of Gaston and Beauty and the Beast. I was yes. a weatherman on TV three. Um, I, I had yep. future opportunities. I was going from Wellington to Christchurch and then Dunedin, and I had That's this right. idea of leaving yep. New Zealand, leaving TV3, 
and heading overseas to pursue my boyhood dream of being a lead on the West End stage, which was a goal that I set myself, mm -hmm. which I did actually manage to achieve. So um, I guess what the 21-year-old awesome. self, self would say, this is where I'm at at the moment. This is my headspace. And that's where I'm going. Yeah. I hope that um, talking to you now, you can look back and say, yeah, you did pursue that. You have had adventures Great. and um, you have achieved that dream. I think that's fantastic. And what would Russell of 2023 say to 21-year-old Russell? I think that's a yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to anyway. say that I have maintained that philosophy. It hasn't always been plain sailing. Yeah. I've had my high moments and my, right. my down moments. I've had my elation yep. and I've had my, my my deep, deep, dark, depressive moments like everybody does. And you, yep. you've got to have both in order to keep everything in perspective. If you haven't been down mm. in the doldrums, you don't know what it's like to be on the other side. And if you haven't been happy, you don't know what it's like to go, you know what? I need to understand that this happiness and desolation that I'm feeling at the moment, these are the moments worth living for. But I know that I'm, at some point I'm going to come back down that graph. I'm going to go back down that trough. Yep. And I've got to, I know that I can anchor myself to those peaks in the past to know that I'm going to get through it okay. And eventually, you know, when you're going through hell, they say, keep going. Because <laughs> you're able to come out the other side at some, at some point. And I think I would yes. say to um, to that twenty one year old, don't take life too seriously. It's not about. Yes. It's not always about making as much money as possible. Um, really, do stop and smell the roses. Like literally, do stop and smell the roses. Um, try to live in the present. Keep continue to seek adventure. Travel, 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 travel. I've never regretted any money. Any money I've spent on travel. My wife and I do a lot of travel, yeah. and we've got a lot of trips that we're doing nice. this year. We're, we're off to cruise around Alaska this year. It's a trip we've been planning planning yeah. for for a number of years now because COVID's kept it's it safe. But, but we, we, we continue to travel. We've always set our sights on international places or destinations to get to. And to just keep keep the glass half full, um, to, to, to take the mm. wins when they come, to keep the, um, the losses in perspective, to put out a, got a lot of good energy, stay positive, and if you do, you get a lot of positive energy back and you get a lot of um, good stuff, good energy back. Um, that, that tends to be my philosophy now. Um, yeah, stay positive, stay upbeat, good times ahead, and the bad times just make you stronger to deal with the um, to deal with lessons that are coming your way which make you a, a stronger and better person ultimately in the end anyway. Russell, thank you. Thank you for your time today and a busy time for you. And congratulations on that that one that really interesting, varied, um, really positive career. And, and it was great. It's been great to catch up with you and, and just reflect on not only the leadership lessons, but also I love that, that, that comment at the end about, um, you know, you've got to just walk through hell and, you know, keep going. And, and that's that very active um, approach, I guess, you've been taking since you, you were 21. And congratulations on a fascinating career because a lot of people would have gone, nah, I don't want to do this, or it would have been too easy. Or, um, uh, you know, for you to, to kind of go and follow that, that passion that obviously was was um, imbued with you and, and in, the, in that family environment back back in, in, in your early years. Um, and I, 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 you know, because you got, um, a, a younger family, but you know, if, if I was to say to the kids here, you know, 
spend it, get on a plane, go and learn. You know, that, that, new, that wonderful New Zealand tradition of OE is just one, you know, I think Australians could learn a lot from that kind of get on a plane, go and experience the world, find yourself when you're over there. So thank you so much for, uh, well, thank you so much for being a great castmate all those years ago in Wellington. And again, it's Lysla and I did. So it was the, uh, you know, for me at a personal level, it was, um, uh, Something I look back on with great fondness, and 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 I, you know, as you and I both, I was still in touch with a lot of that cast, which I think says a lot. Nearly twenty years, I'm seventeen years later. But for most of all, for you, um, thanks for your insights today, your um, your reflections on yourself, and and for keeping it real. And I think if there's a lesson from me for this, it's really keeping it real. Uh, communicate, 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 uh, and don't take yourselves too seriously. And, and we're looking forward, obviously, to seeing you. Uh, in the next stage of your career being, uh, you know, in Ireland or the West End or Dubai again or wherever. So thank you so much for your time today. It's been fantastic. You're very welcome. Thanks for the opportunity. And I'll leave you with one phrase that I coined a couple of years ago, which I'm kind of proud of. It's Great. a little bit, it's a little bit, um, I don't know, quirky, but um, it's, it's that life happens in colour when you're outside your comfort zone. And, um, and it's, so, so sometimes you've got to look for opportunities to, to, to get outside the comfort zone to to really um, suck Lovely. up the marrow of life great to catch up with you jeremy all the best for you and your family much appreciate russell can't wait to catch up again soon. good on you take care good on you thank you for your time today and thanks for joining us on d21 already russell that's fantastic you find people as they are and one of the things i vividly recall and russell alluded to it i think quite candidly but also really openly was that cast and it was a mix it's interesting in young because um a lot of the time you have professionals working with amateurs to put on these very very lavish uh, musical theater productions and, and russell uh, even then was 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 a well-established uh, name in musical theater in new zealand and i was definitely <laughs> not uh, as anyone who's ever seen me dance in theater uh, on a raw stage including my poor son in bunnings occasionally would attest to but russell was one of those people uh, he was doing tv3 weather literally doing live crosses before he jumped on stage with us over that couple of week period. And one of the things I vividly recall, so it's interesting how things stay with you, is his calmness. And I think from that conversation with him today and in the lead up in organising the chat with him, and he's been incredibly gracious and, and selfless with his time, that was one of the things that I took from Russell, humility, self-reflection, and being aware of the role that people need to have in a production, musical theatre, TV, on stage, off stage, in life, and the analogies that he was giving, he was giving us in in that conversation, I thought were fantastic, and I loved his reflection at the end. So thank you so much, Russell. Thanks for being a, a great leader in, in 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 what was a challenging set of circumstances, and a special shout out. I, you know, people talk about the arts, but I'm one of those people who was very, very fortunate to have some great experiences, and and continue to have some great experiences through the arts as a young kid, seeing the National Boys Choir, and then some theatre in Canberra and then three wonderful shows in New Zealand and, and that show, Beauty and the Beast, and I've still got the T-shirt. This was the last one I did. I have definitely hung up my uh, non-dancing boots, I can attest to that, but that show was very special to me because it was the last one I did. So thank you so much, Russell, for your time. Thank you to you wherever you're listening. Much appreciated as always for the feedback and uh, really do appreciate the, the reviews that you've been giving this show. And as always, to Cursed Kids and the Pooch, Thank you. That's it for this episode of Dear 21-Year-Old Me. Wherever you are, stay well, go well, and bye for now. Thanks for joining us today. For more episodes and links, visit dear21yearoldme.com. 
And if you enjoyed the show, don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts.